Let's continue on. We're building our faith in the Lord, continuing on through uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. Um, well, I'm only going to preach to 15, but nevertheless, we are going to read these passages. And it's kind of a continuation from last week's sermon. It's really, really challenging. If you take it seriously, if you take it to heart, you're going to be convicted by this. That's Paul's intention to encourage, but also to to kind of challenge and to convict Timothy to be the Christian he's called to be. And, and that's the same for all of us. We want to live up to our calling in Jesus Christ, right? I hope so. If you're in Christ, that's a big deal. We want to be who we are in him and, and, and what he calls us to be, who he calls us to be, those expectations. We want to meet them. I pray that we do as Christians. So he's challenging Timothy here as an elder in the church and as a pastor, but this all filters on right to all of us. This should be the attitude that all of us have when it comes to Christ and his word. So beginning in verse 11, he says this to Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, you flee these things. You pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. And again, as we come before your word this morning, Lord God, I pray that we would do so with great reverence, that we would really truly be engaged by your spirit. And I, and I pray, Lord, that this, just is, this is not simply a futile exercise or just kind of going through, but that we would treasure these moments and these opportunities that you give us, Lord, to come together before and in your word. So please, Lord, be with all of us. Wake us up, Lord. Help us to understand the nature of, of the battle that we're in, the nature of our faith, Lord, and what's at stake. Please, Lord God, I pray that you would be with me, that you would give me your confidence and, and your words to bring forth, Lord God, and, and, and help us to, to be encouraged where we do need to be encouraged, to be convicted, Lord, where we need to be convicted in our lives, that we might draw closer to you and, and really be um, that, that instrument in the hands of our Redeemer to, to make a difference as you would have us make in this world, Lord, for you, through our lives, through our actions, Lord God, what we think, what we say, what we do. So please, Lord, bless this, this message to your glory and for our good. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please. Um, this is heavy stuff. It is, because he's really equipping him for ministry, but also to live the Christian life. We're, we're set apart in this world. You have to understand that. 
And I think you do to a degree. We're always struggling because we're always feeling the pull and the tug of the world, right? To get right back into it and to, to find ourselves with, with all the comforts that we have and the daily routine. And it gets so easy to take our eyes off of Christ. The things that we want to do as opposed to things that we need to be doing for him. In our actions, in our attitudes, in, in every, every sphere, uh, of our, even, even in the intentions of our own heart, man. So you remember last week, as he's instructing Timothy and, and encouraging him, we looked at several aspects or characteristics of what it means to be a minister, but also as a Christian. It flows to us. Remember last week he said, look, you don't get caught up in the things of this world, all the, that silliness and the stuff that even comes in the church. He said, you need to flee from that. So number one, we talked about as Christians, we live life on the run, don't we? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of our lives, we're running away from sin. At least we ought to be fleeing temptation. Don't put yourself in that place. Don't think that you can handle it because you can't, man. Don't play along the edges because you're going to fall off. So when that temptation comes, whatever it is, man, and you know... Um, you know your weaknesses too. So, so wherever that comes in, and when Satan tempts you, or just a little, you know, come a little bit closer, you have to have that resolve to, to flee, to turn and run away. That's what he tells Timothy. You flee those things. So, so we're on the run a lot of time from the temptation to sin, to sin. At least we ought to be, man. So even when you feel yourself getting angry or something, or you know, getting perturbed, you know, just leave, flee from that temptation to gossip, to sin, to lust, whatever it is, man. Run away. We spend our lives running away from temptation to sin. But we're not just running away, we're running to. He goes on to say, you pursue, go after, man. You pursue in your sanctification. As a Christian, growing in Christ, there's, char- there's character things that characterize us, man. We're not who we were before. So we pursue things such as righteousness, That marks our faith. That marks our lives. As Christians, we're righteous in Christ. That ought to come through in our lives to do the right thing, to live in a right way before the Lord, right? In godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's just a a little sample. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not, oh, I could do these. It's, It's every aspect, every sphere of our lives that we need to be running to. We need to pursue that, man, as Christians. I want to live for Christ. I want to be the man that he wants me to be. I fail every second, every day, but doesn't mean not seeking to be that person, to glorify him, right? And to grow in my faith, to be the man that I need to be, to be the woman you need to be, to be the, 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 the child, the kid. Yeah, the kid that you need to be, <laughs> Right? Then he goes on to tell him to fight the good fight of faith. We're in a battle, man. Every single second of every single day, the world, the flesh, the devil continue to pursue us all the time. It doesn't cease. It never stops. You know that. We talked about how the arrows keep flying. It's not necessarily just kind of a pinpointing, you know, marksman type of thing. It's that constant, constant. You think it's over? No. It's just, it's continual um, oppression, continual temptation, continual um, temptations to, to sin in that way. So we need to fight that, that good fight and understand the nature of the battle that we're in and our dependence upon Christ. Remember the word agonizomai, to agonize with these things, man. To, to be serious about your faith, not to play games, 
as, as Christians. That's not gonna, that's not gonna bode well for you, man, especially when you have to stand before the Lord and give an account for your life. So, so understand, we're in a battle for sure. And the more Satan can have us capitulate to the world, capitulate to our own desires, that's cool. Then we're ineffective. We're not, we're not, the devil loves that because then you're just doing your thing. You're busy being whatever you're doing and you're not, you're not working for the kingdom. You're not being that good soldier that we're called to be. So he picks up with that. Now, that was our review. Now we'll get into to today. It just kind of continues on. He says, he goes, he goes on to say, you take hold. And this is the, um, verse 12, second 12b. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see what he's doing? He's like, okay, Timothy. And this is emphatic. It's very emphatic. It's a command. He's saying, Timothy, you take hold of that eternal life, man. You Grab it. You seize it. You hold on to it. Take hold of that which by grace you already have. Amen? That's a big thing. It's not that we're striving to gain eternal life or keep life till eternity. We already have it. It's a matter of living that out. It's having an eternal perspective on our lives as Christians, man. The big picture. You can't just think about yourself all the time and what you need here, what you need there. No. How does Christ want me to live? Who am I supposed to be for him? Right? What's the big picture? What's the eternal picture? We're, you know, we're, we're strangers and aliens in this world. We're just passing through. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So how are you living your life in that way? Are you taking hold of, of that which by grace already belongs to you? Are you embracing your Christianity, man? Do you love it? Do you love being a Christian? Are you thankful every day? And does that come through in your life and your obedience and, and how you conduct yourself and the things that you do? where you go, what you want, everything, man. I mean, are you engaged? And is it developing? That's what he means when he says, you take hold of it, man. Don't just let it sit there. Oh, I'm a Christian, but nobody even knows, and you're not really doing anything. Don't be like so many who call themselves Christian and just take it for granted, man. Don't, don't let that flame just turn into like a little flicker or ember. And there's so many Christians right there. It's almost a drag to read your Bible. You know, praying or, or anything that has to do with the Lord is just like a hassle for you. Not necessarily a hassle, but oh man, whatever. I mean, no, don't take it for, don't, don't squander what you have if you're called in Christ, right? Don't, don't squelch the spirit. Oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I could, don't worry about reading today. I, I'll, that, that can wait till next week. I have more important things to do. Don't be like that. He's not taking hold of eternal life when we're like that, man. We're living every day for Christ. You don't want to look back. Look, man, think about looking back at the end of your life as a Christian. You don't want to say, I mean, you're going to say, we're all going to say, I could have done more. I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have done better for Christ. All of that. That's true. But, like, you don't want to, like, say, like, don't, don't come to that place where you're saying that. I could have, we want to say, I fought the good fight for Christ. I, I, I let him use me, and I, and I sought to serve him. I know I didn't serve him as well as I ought to, but I sought to serve him the best that I could with what he's given me. That's what we want to come to the place, honest, when we make an honest assessment of our lives in Christ. You don't want to look back and say, man, I could have done so much more for the kingdom of Christ. I could have done so much, I could have been so much more obedient in that way. 
right? I just kind of squandered everything I had in Christ. I spent too much time doing the things that I want to do, just wasting my time on petty little stupid things that amount, that amount to nothing, man. They might give you pleasure in the moment. They're not necessarily sinful. But man, I could have been doing something for the kingdom. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to say, I'm just saying as Christians, that's, man, right? That's what I want. How much time do we waste just doing whatever? You don't, yeah, it is true, man. You don't want to have to say, like, I spent too much time in my life as a Christian worrying about every little thing or being fearful or being timid or being afraid to be bold for Christ, man. We don't want to say that. We don't want to look back. That's why he says to him, you, Timothy, you take hold. You take hold of eternal life. You, you engage. You have that eternal perspective, on life. You're not thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about Christ, his overarching plan, his decrees, his providence, right? You don't want to spend too much time pursuing self-interest, you know, living mostly for this life. And that's what so many Christians do. They live mostly for this life. They give a little bit to Christ, but mostly for this life. You know, I'm not going to let my faith interfere with my, my, my pleasures that I want over there. Well, I got this to do. So, you know, it's everything with Christianity is always put on the back burner, right? Whatever it is, if something comes up, if the game's on, if I'm doing this, I'm doing that, well, I could go to church then, or I could put this over here. Well, I have to work, well, church, forget about that, right? We, we always do that. Like even, even when people move out of state, and my wife taught me this, because I really never was convicted about this until recently, but when people move from one state to another, Laura would always say, to certain people as they're moving, well, what about church? Because they're going for a really nice job and, and, you know, the schools are good there and it's a good place to be. But I say, what about church? Are there good churches there? We don't think about that too much. Oh, we can always find a church. Not really, man. We know people who are living far away that aren't, that can't find a good church because we don't think about that, do we? So often we don't. We're not, we're not taking hold of, of, of eternal life in that way, Right? You don't want to look back and just, just like, you're not taking hold of eternal life if you're living in like your pettiness, like your petty, petty jealousies, your envy, your pride, holding on to grudges, that nursing anger, right? Being obstinate to the Lord. That's, that, that, that's the opposite of what he's telling Timothy here. So you take hold of eternal life and you live that to the fullest, to what he's, the ability that he's given us to live for Christ. That's, all, that's what he's telling him, right? Not taking hold of eternity. Living, it's taking hold of eternity. Living this life from eternal perspective. It's so much bigger than us and our pettiness and what we think we need. We're here for Christ as ambassadors. What does he want us to do? How are we to live in accordance to his word? That's it, man. That's the challenge. That's a big challenge. So, so many of us are just so lame when it comes to our faith in living it out. That life, that eternal life to which Timothy was called to, which you're called to, was confessed by... Look, Paul, Paul puts, him on, puts him on the spot. He says, Neil, you take hold of eternal life to which you were called, right? And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That life to which he's called. We are called by Christ out of darkness into his light. That's the internal call of God. We are set apart by him, to live for him. So how are we doing? That confession that you made, you know, when we confess Christ, that's why we have public professions of faith. That's why when you're a Christian or or before you're baptized, you give a testimony. You tell people about how 
Christ made you, that sinner that you were, that rebel that you were, that enemy that you were, how he turned you into a saint, man. How he forgave your sins, how much he loved you, that he bled for you, that he gave his life for you, right? There's that grat- That's our profession of faith. Here I was, man. This is the life that I was living, and I've been delivered from that. My sins are forgiven. That's it. That's that transformation that he makes. That's that confession that you're telling the world. You're not afraid. You're not ashamed that you belong to him. So what he's saying, what he's challenging here, he's challenging Timothy, but that challenge comes right to us, man. It comes so to us, doesn't it? To live for Christ. Live up to your calling as a Christian. Do it, man. Or don't call yourself a Christian. You live up to that profession that you've made how Christ has brought you to himself, what he rescued you from, how he has forever changed your life, and then living in gratitude to that. I appreciate so much more those that struggle with their faith and say, I'm not sure, and I'm battling, and I don't know, than those who make a a silly profession of faith and then just live their lives as, as if they're not Christian at all, because you're probably not Christian at all. Right? So you say one thing, man, but then you live another. You know what that does? You know how that reflects? Not just on you, but on the church and on Christ. Right? I'm not saying we have to be perfect because we're not. Obviously, you know that. That's not what I'm saying. But if you make the silly profession and you just live the life you simply want to and the way you want to, then you need to check it, man. You need to check yourself. Because it's easy to say. Like, like this little quote from John MacArthur in, in the bulletin today um, that's in there. Paul MacArthur says, you are a reflection of your theology. Your life is the living out of what you really believe about God. He goes on to give him a most solemn charge. I mean, this is a, a, a real serious charge to him, a command that he must... Um, it's a must for all faithful ministers, but again, for all faithful Christians. He goes on and he charges in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Amen. Praise God. He says this, he goes on to charge him in the presence of God the Father. And notice that God, the Father, he is the source of all things. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. Acts 17, 28, in him we we live and we move and we have our being. Everybody's dependent upon him, whether you acknowledge him or not. You can't make sense of anything ultimately apart from God. That's why philosophers go crazy at the end of their lives, like John Paul Sartre, you know, just kind of, I'm going to give up. I'm just going to go, go, go play backgammon and all this. I just kind of can't figure this out because apart from God, you can't figure out ultimately the things that we simply take for granted. you understand that? We have that. We can tell you why good is good and bad is bad, right is wrong, right is right and wrong is wrong. In morality, we could tell you all these things, all the questions, the big questions we can answer. Dude, we can answer what came first, the, the chicken or the egg? Addy, yeah, chicken, why? Because we know that's what he created. So that's some philosophers for saying, but if you know God and creation, You understand that? He is the source of all things. So before him, he charges Timothy in the sight of God and of Jesus Christ. And we love Christ, bold, fearless, his confession before Pilate. And and he, he told Pilate, you would have no authority unless it was given to you by my father. 
right? And Pilate knew that. He understood that. And yet Jesus was silent like a lamb to slaughter. Uh, John Calvin said this about Jesus' good confession. Don't you love the Lord? He never backed down. He was never afraid. He said, for Christ made his confession before Pilate, not in many words, but in reality. That is by his voluntary submission to death. Amen. That's our, that's a good confession of Christ. That's who we want to be like, right? Follow his example in that way. Be bold like him and strong in his way, not afraid in that way. And so Timothy is too, as, as, as to the charge he gives before God and before Christ, verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which will which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign king of king and lord of lords he says here's the charge timothy here's what you need to understand here's the command that you keep the commandment right again this filters to all of us as christians it, it's for it's for the pastors it's for the elders but for all of us as christians you keep the commandment well what's the commandment what's he talking about essentially and basically that word for commandment means precepts it means principles prescriptions um all these things that Timothy has received as a, as a matter of fact that Timothy has known even from childhood so the commandment um, is basically saying the word of God. So, so 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul speaking to Timothy says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing um, from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So keep that commandment. Keep those precepts. Keep that, that those, the, the prescriptions there. Basically saying, you know, keep, keep the word. Keep the word of God. You, and, and what do you need? How do you need to keep it? And this is really important for all of us. How do you, you need to keep it, number one, unstained. It needs to be unstained, man. Unstained and free from reproach. Two biggies for all pastors, all faithful ministers, but all faithful Christians as well. You keep it unstained. In other words, we need to guard it. We need to protect it. We need to proclaim the truth as those who who follow Christ. So keep it unstained. In other words, as it truly is, keep it free from reproach. And, And there are a lot of similarities. He's not just saying the same thing in different ways. There are a lot of similarities to what he's saying, but there's different points of emphasis in, in the two examples that he brings forward. So he says, keep it unstained, number one. That's just free from spot, free from blemish. You know what that's like. Um, do you ever have a really nice shirt if you're, a dude, if you're a guy or a really nice dress and you get a stain on it, a, a big stain? Yeah, right? What's that do? It, it takes away, man. It takes away from the original purity, right? That was a beautiful shirt. But what do people notice? Do they notice a shirt when you have a major stain? No, man. They notice the stain. It's not what it's meant to be. It obscures, doesn't it? That's what a stain does. It distracts. <laughs> it doesn't, it's just that, that's just kind of where you go to, right? You have that real pretty dress that you just bought, and now it's all stained. And it distracts because you're thinking about it, and it's what others notice. And they don't say... Wow, what a beautiful dress. Instead, they say, wow, did you see that stain, right? Wow. Yeah, it's embarrassing a little bit and, and, it, and, and can 
be points of shame. Well, that's the idea here. Think of that in spiritual terms when it comes to the word. We need to keep it clean, man. We need to keep it pure. We need to keep it flawless as it is to the best of our ability as, as faithful followers of Christ. We don't add to his word, man. We don't take away. We don't subtract from it. There's no tampering with it. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said this, man. Therefore, having the ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. And he goes on to say, we don't tamper with the word of God. See, for us, it's not like Satan who said, hath God said. That's not what it is for us. For us, it is, thus saith the Lord. This is his word. We can't, we can't cheat on that. We can't go back in any way because so many have stained this word and they obscure the truth. That's why I say, Timothy, you keep it unstained, right? Don't let it be obscured. Don't let it be a distract. Don't, don't distract from, from the truth. Don't bring embarrassment and shame. We see it all the time. There are so many examples that we could talk about where this word is being stained. And it's being stained even today within the church, within the body of Christ. See, what he's telling Timothy, just the opposite is happening in so many churches today, man. It just is. That's why we have to be careful and guard against it because it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to, I mean, we're always just this far away from, from falling. Never think that, oh, we're the good church. We're the, man, we're hanging on by the grace of God every single second. So we don't say this in a prideful way. But we say it in an introspective way as we're depending on the Lord to keep us faithful. Capiche? So when we talk about things like a, a prime example, again, and I bring these up because it's a context in which we live in. It's very real. It's out here. It's in our face today. It's in the church today. A good example of how the, how the scripture is being stained is from the so-called A-side Christianity. Do you, do you ever hear of A-side Christianity when it comes to um, LGBT, homosexual marriage in the church? A-sider? Oh, I'm glad you've never heard of that. How about B-side? If there's an A-side, there's a B-side. A-side Christians believe that marriage, believe in marriage equality. It's preached in the church. Somebody like Matthew Vines, um, others, a name that might be familiar, kind of a gen hat maker, kind of heading towards that way. That, that, that kind of teaching kind of says, and I'm talking about a stain. This is an illustration of, of, of that obscuring the word, Right? And it's where we go off track. And he's, he's telling Timothy, command him, don't let this happen because it's going to happen or attempt to happen. So A-side, um, A-side Christianity is, yes, believe in full marriage equality. doesn't matter, dude and dude, girl, girl, it's okay. Um, sex within that is not immoral, okay? That's A-side Christianity, which is, and I'm not, look, so... Let me just say this. I don't want you to roll your eyes or say, or laugh. It's, it's really here and among us. And there are young people especially that are just buying in because it does seem to make sense to them in the culture that we're living in, man. This is why you need to know. And this is why we need to understand. This is why we can't stain the word. So, so passages like Genesis 19, Romans 1, by A-side, Christianity explains this way, that that simply refers to man-boy relations. Not committed, not monogamous relations, loving relationship between two members of the same sex, which is acceptable. Again, don't laugh. Don't just poo-poo it because it is making inroads 
into the church today. But it's an example of what Paul is saying here about that stain. It's a stain. It's, it's, it, it detracts. It takes away. It obscures the, the truth of God's word, right? And more and more Christians are, are professing Christians are coming to this kind of understanding, especially younger ones, and just kind of say, well, that just seems, that's where our culture is today. That's what everybody's doing. It's very acceptable. Why shouldn't we be? That's a loving thing to do, but don't you understand? It's bringing a stain on God's word because it's obscuring the actual truth, man. You get that? And it's hard to, to proclaim the truth of God. It's a stain on the commandment, right? That's an example of that. I want you to see that. Paul says, you keep it unstained, man. Timothy, you're a pastor. You keep it unstained. You keep it pure. Then he goes on to say, and free from reproach. Free from reproach. Reproach, um, we want to keep it blameless. It's a matter of integrity, the integrity of the word. The idea is behind this, keeping it free from reproach, is the idea that, that the scriptures should not be or ought not be used in a self-serving way. How, how so many f- ministers or so-called pastors just do that. They use it in self-serving, sin-justifying, and hypocritical ways. Ways that bring reproach, scorn, and ridicule on the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's reproach. That's what he needs to guard against. That's why we need to be true. If you get in trouble or people make fun of you or, you, or something happens because you're telling the truth of the word, that's okay. That's cool. That's fine. But when you're using it in a self-serving way, when you're using it in a hypocritical way, when you're using it to gain power or whatever you're seeking, that's the, 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 the hypocritical. That's, that brings reproach. When an unbeliever can look and say, see, yeah, right, some Christian you are. What kind of word is that? That, that brings reproach. So in Romans chapter 2, if you want to turn with me, it's a really, really good example of this. And this is the, the, the religious leaders Mostly the Pharisees. Romans chapter 2 and beginning in verse 17. I'll let you turn there. Uh, and, and Paul is saying these are the ones that have the, 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 the oracles of God, kind of like the, the Christians of today. We have the, the word of God. We should be spreading the word of God. But what they were doing is they were using it in self-serving ways. And they were, they were uh, using the law as a means of, of even uh, salvation in that way or, or going towards salvation. So Paul says this to these religious leaders, and this is what we mean by reproach uh, against the word, beginning in verse 17, Romans uh, chapter 2. But you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law, and you boast in God, and know his will, I'm sorry, and know his will, and approve of what is excellent, because you were instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Yeah, it's there, but what are you doing with it is what he's basically saying. Then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's bringing reproach on the word of God. Don't do that as pastors especially, but all of us as Christians. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says this. 
For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak in Christ. When we bring reproach, when we use it in self-serving ways, you know what you're doing, man? You are affirming the unbeliever in their unbelief, right? You're vindicating. I put that in quotes. You're vindicating because they're not really vindicated, but you're kind of giving them that excuse to say, there's no difference. So much for your good book, so much for, for your God. You're no different than me. That's the worst thing you could ever hear. If somebody says that to you, then you're in deep trouble, man. You're no different than me. You know, I see no difference in you, man. You're just like me. That, that would be, that's such a, I don't know, I mean, that's shameful. That, that could be the worst thing you hear because we are different in Jesus Christ. Not better, not superior, Sinners saved by grace, and that's what they need to see. You know? People know you're a Christian. Can't bring reproach on the word of God. That's why it's so important for all of us to teach it straight, man. Preach it straight up. No, no chaser, just straight, and let the chips fall, because the chips are going to fall, right? And that's okay. But preach it straight all the time, Every time, no matter what, regardless of the direction the cultural winds are blowing. And man, we are in a hurricane right now, aren't we? The cultural winds are going everywhere. And so much of the church is just following right along. They just are. You know, even conservative denominations, if you think of the PCA, Southern Baptist churches, they're just kind of following the winds, you know, putting their their finger up there and, and kind of adjusting their theology as it goes. You can't do that. That brings reproach on God's word. No matter the public opinion, or the pressure brought to bear. We need to refuse. We need to refuse to be moved in order to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, no matter what the cost. And I'm telling you right now, man, it's becoming more and more costly. It's becoming much more costly to stay true to the word in the time that we're living in. Are you ready for that? Are you ready? Are you ready for your life to be a little upset from from how comfortable it is for all of us? You think you're ready? I hope so, and I pray so. And that's why we're preaching it this way. Because when we're doing this, it seems so simple. Yeah, of course, we're going to follow the commandments. But as things are changing all around us, it's going to be more and more difficult to do that, to keep it unstained, to keep from giving in to the pressure that we're under and that we're facing in in the world. Are we going to be faithful and continue to preach it and teach it? We're called to hold the line. So whether that pressure comes from outside the church or inside the church, believe me, there's constant pressure. Even what I said today about the LGBTQ or when I talk about BLM, you feel that kind of pressure because that's like kind of a no-no almost, certainly in our society, and it's really creeping into the church as well. But we must speak the truth. We need to hold it. Then you deal with the truth. You wrestle with the truth, and we deal with the consequences as well. So do you understand? Listen, he tells him, you keep it free. This is the charge. You keep it free. Be tough, man. Keep it free. Keep it unstained and free from reproach. For how long? How long do we need to do this? Read it. (laughs) Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which will be displayed at the proper time. We are called, beloved, to hold the line, not yielding to the pressures of a difficult situation 
even for one moment. That's what I love about the true followers of Christ. They don't give in for a second, not for a moment. And they do it with grace. They do it with love even for their enemies, but they do it firmly. There's that meekness about it. There's that humble boldness. Paul in Galatians chapter two, when the Judaizers wanted to come in, when they wanted to add to the gospel, did he say, <clears throat> yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom. Don't think they're on false brothers who come into the church to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. That's bondage into sin. Yeah, believe in Christ, but be circumcised too. Then, then that really fulfills your Christianity. That's the whole gospel, right? We're seeing that today, big time, in many ways. Believe in Jesus, but here's what you need to do to really have the gospel, to really have salvation. Um, but listen to what Paul said. To them, we did not yield submission even for a moment, even for a millisecond. We're not going to do that. We're not going to give. We're not even going to entertain that because it's not in accordance with the word. Don't think that you could fool us or trick us by doing this. No matter how good it sounds, no matter how many people are buying in, no matter what the culture says, we're not going to give in, not even for a moment. That's the spirit that we need to have. Um, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why don't we give in? Because it's not true, number one. Number two, it's about preserving the gospel and the truth. That's the message that comes forth. We are called to hold the line until Christ returns, until our Savior returns. We keep it pure and free from reproach because the message is unchanging. That's why we do it. It's, it's true all the time, every single time. The message of salvation, the unchanging truths of Scripture, the precepts of principles, it's God's word. Our obligation is to preach it faithfully, to teach it, to live it faithfully, whether you're a pastor or whether you're in the pews. You understand that? Does that make sense? We are charged with passing on this faithful message. And I want you to just grasp the depth of this and the privilege that we have right now. And don't you dare take your faith for granted, man. If you do, like, get out. I mean, just go. I, because what we have is just so good. And so the depth of it is beyond, listen, man, we have this privilege. We, this is our opportunity right now, right now, our duty to preach with urgency, man, with conviction, to teach with sincerity, to protect and to guard that which been, has been given to us by God, to, to propagate that which with, which, with, what we, blah, with which we've been entrusted, okay? That he's given to us, right? How long? How long do we do this? Until he appears, then that's it. But until Christ comes back, this is what we're called to do. Do you understand? This is our opportunity. This is our time. What a privilege it is. What a privilege. We're charged with passing on this faithful message and preserving the truth. Are you up to that? Are you willing to do that for Christ? This is the same gospel that Jesus delivered, that Jesus embodied, that centers on Christ. It's the same gospel that the apostles preached. It's the same gospel that the early church propagated willingly despite the cost. Read the book of Acts, right? It's the gospel that the reformers recovered at great cost to themselves. It's the gospel that the faithful remnant preached today. This is the message that we have. This is why he says you do it until Christ comes. We have the privilege of doing it now. It's our time right now as Christians. And in passing it on 
until the Lord comes or he calls us home. Do you understand that privilege? That's why we take this seriously. That's why you're here this morning. Because Christ died for sinners like you and me. That's the gospel. It's free to us. It cost him everything. We don't deserve this. We do deserve the wrath of God. We do deserve the punishment. We do deserve hell. We deserve that because of our sin. We're not good spiritually in that way. And the good things that we do show us that we're creating the image of God. When we sin against him, show us our need for salvation. Just think of that all the time. Even the good things that you do show that you know God. You're creating his image because you're, you're mirroring him. And when you sin, shows your need for Christ because you've rebelled against him. And that's why he came to give his life, to live the life that we could never live, man, perfect and without sin for you because you can't do that. Who substituted himself at the cross in our place, taking the punishment and wrath we deserve, satisfying the justice of God, right? To take away our sin, forgiveness of sin, and to take away our guilt. He was raised on the third day, showing, demonstrating, that it is true. If there's any doubt, the resurrection of Christ should erase any doubt that you have. Ascended right? to heaven and will come one day. That's it. Do you understand the great privilege that we have as Christians? Are you squandering it, man? This is our time. This is our opportunity. It's our duty to preach it and to preach it straight with conviction, no matter the cost. Until he comes or calls us home. That's an awesome privilege. That's why he says, you you keep preaching it until the appearing of our Lord. That message, that one message. Because a lot of people are coming and they're changing that message. They're distorting that message. They're staining that message, man. They're, they're, They're twisting that message. No, no, this is the message. We just, we're just messengers, messenger boys, messenger girls. We bring it. And they need to, people will wrestle with it. And the Lord will use it as he will. But we have no, we have no authority to, to take the edge off. Right? We have no authority to, to change it just a little bit. We have no authority to discard it. Right? And you need to live for it, man. You need to be serious. Please, if you're not, ask the Lord to, to, to really... Convict your heart. This is a tough section. It's encouraging if you're really in the Lord. It's challenging. But man, if you're not or you're struggling, mm -hmm, it's tough. Listen, let's just sum it up real quick. Number one, you, we must flee from temptation to sin. Big deal. Do that. Run away. Don't put yourself in those places. Number two, you need to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue our sanctification. Keep growing in Christ Jesus. Be serious about that. Change me, Lord. Help me to be the the person I need to be in Christ. Think the right things. Do the right things. You need to fight the good fight of faith. Agonizomai. Struggle with these things. It's hard because it doesn't stop. It never ends. And the deeper you get into the faith, guess what? Does it get any easier? Oh, it gets harder, you know, and sometimes it gets easier to fall, right? The more you pursue, that, that turns up the heat on you in terms of, of your faith. 
take hold of eternal life. Consider the eternal perspective, man. Consider the big picture. We're nothing. He's everything. We're here for his purpose. Let's be used in that way. Of course, uh, as husbands, wives, doing our job the best we can, all those things fit in, but it's not overarching. Overarching is serving the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what it takes, right? doesn't matter that you're a good worker if you're not serving Christ. doesn't matter that you're a good provider if you're not serving Christ in, in that way, first and foremost. You've got to be engaged in every aspect of it. Grab onto it. You need to keep the commandment. You need to keep the word unstained and free from reproach. That means you need to know the word. You need to love the word. You need to defend the word. Keep it stained. Don't, don't go off track. Don't buy in. Not even for a moment, man. Oh, but I love that guy. Oh, he's such a wonderful pastor. Oh, he's so sweet. He just says this over here. Don't buy it, man. You could still love that dude and pray for him, but don't follow along with the teachings. Because they're diverting from the word of God. It doesn't matter about even relationships. Christ said he came to bring a sword, man, right? So there's going to be some times where our love for Christ means I've got, got to turn right now because you're not sticking with the word. And I love him more than I love you. I love him more than I love myself, right? It's all about Jesus. <clears throat> and we must keep preaching it, keep teaching it living faithfully until he returns. And I just, I can't emphasize this enough. This is our time. This is our opportunity. Right now, we have that privilege. We have that duty. We have, don't squander that. Don't let it pass by. So as he gives you opportunity, just speak it. Just preach it. Just tell. Live your life in that way that people can see Christ in you. 